This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, August 18th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, county COVID cases continue upward trend to gatherings offer mental health conversations, electric buses on the table for smart, and a mountain weather forecast. But first... On Tuesday morning, the Telluride School District went into a roughly hour-long lockdown after the Telluride Marshals Department received word of what they identified as a credible threat from an adult who was not employed by the district but had worked for one of the district's partner organizations. According to Chief Marshal Josh Compt, there was no imminent danger to the schools or the community, but out of an abundance of caution, law enforcement wanted to secure the schools while they located the person who made the threats. The Marshals Department subsequently found the person off campus and took them in for questioning. Compt says there are no charges against them, so they were released, but he adds there is an ongoing investigation. The lockdown was lifted at about 11 a.m. School was not in session, but it was new student orientation for the middle high school, so there were students and staff on campus. No one was injured, but the district canceled and postponed several events scheduled for later in the day. According to Compt, there is no reason at this point to be concerned about any ongoing threat. COVID-19 cases continue to rise in San Miguel County as the more contagious Delta variant spreads. According to County Public Health Director Grace Franklin, there have been 21 new cases in the last week. That's compared to 12 cases two weeks ago and three to six new cases per week before that. Of those 21 cases, 13 are breakthrough cases in people who had been fully vaccinated. A lot of transmission, Franklin notes, seems to be coming from social interactions. Folks are maintaining their behaviors like um, it was at the beginning of the summer, and we can no longer really um, look at our um, choices at the same level that we did during um, the early summer when folks were vaccinated and we didn't have as transmissible of a virus. Franklin spoke at a Board of County Commissioners meeting on Wednesday. The caseload is roughly triple what the county experienced last August. According to the most recent wastewater testing, 100% of the virus in the sample taken is the Delta variant. In May and June, our um, disease burden was extremely low and there was not much um, COVID um, detected in the wastewater. But as the summer has progressed, the Delta um, variant has progressed across the United States. We are seeing this um, progressively upward trend of um, that surveillance disease burden. Statewide, cases and hospitalizations are also trending upward, but deaths so far are not. Deaths typically are delayed three to four weeks from hospitalization dates, so it could be a data lag um, of deaths just not being reported yet. But this is a hopeful trend um, really just hitting on um, the benefits potentially of vaccines or uh, people being vaccinated and lowering um, the severity. The county's positivity rate, which is the percent of COVID tests coming back positive, should ideally be below 5 percent. Currently, it's at 16.5 percent. But Franklin adds, while that's partially related to how much disease is in the area, it's also influenced by how much testing is happening. The number of people who are currently sick is um, being woefully under-tested based off of this positivity rate. In response to the increased cases, Franklin says the county has updated its testing schedule. 
Testing is available Mondays and Tuesdays from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the Lawson Intercept lot, Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. next to the Blue Mesa Condominium Building in Mountain Village, Fridays from 9.45 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at the Miramonte Building in Telluride, and by appointment Monday through Friday at the Uncompagre Medical Center. The county also plans to offer third booster vaccine doses to certain immunocompromised individuals who received the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines based on new approval from the Food and Drug Administration to combat waning vaccine effectiveness. There is no, we don't want medical documents or a provider's note. It really is the honor system and a self-attestation that the person um, falls into the categories listed by the FDA. More information on which immunocompromised individuals are eligible for a booster dose is available on the county website under the COVID tab. On Wednesday, the Biden administration released plans to offer booster shots to all Americans who received the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines starting in late September. The county, however, has not yet said how it will move forward on that new information. And with changing weather, COVID isn't the only worry. Franklin also points to RSV, a respiratory virus that usually flares up in the fall, but is increasing earlier this year and compounding concerns. When we think about our current situation, it's not just COVID, but we also have all these other respiratory illnesses, including RSV, including the upcoming flu season, that are going to be compounding and putting stress on the healthcare system, which I know, at least locally and regionally, are already strained. As Delta spreads and the weather changes, there's a familiar feeling of needing to be flexible as we react to new information and conditions in the fight against COVID-19. Commissioner Lance Waring, for instance, says new information on increases in breakthrough cases where vaccinated people get COVID is causing him to rethink recent conversations he had with Telluride School District Superintendent John Pandolfo, though Waring has not specified what that means. No decisions were made at this week's BOCC meeting to modify local public health recommendations or restrictions, but as the public health situation evolves, the aim, Franklin says, is to balance respect for different parts of the community with also taking appropriate preventative measures. It's been a rough few weeks for the Telluride region. Earlier this month, a visitor died after falling from the Via Ferrata. Last weekend, a member of the community died by suicide. And on Tuesday, a lockdown temporarily shut down the Telluride School District the day before the first day of school. In addition to the mental health resources already available in the area, on Thursday, two gatherings will provide a chance for additional conversations, resources, and support. Bright Futures, in collaboration with the Center for Mental Health and the Wilkinson Public Library, will host a session about how to talk to children about suicide. Professionals from across the community will cover a variety of topics, including trauma, grief, and guilt. All of the very normal reactions that happen after a suicide. That's Clea Willow, Program Director for Bright Futures. The program, she notes, is not geared toward any specific age children. We will be hosting additional sessions next week that will be a little more age specific. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have an hour for the parents with kiddos, you know, really kindergarten or preschool even through sixth grade. And then another session following that 
for families with kiddos in middle and high school. It's important, Willow notes, to learn how to communicate with kids about tough issues. And mental health challenges, she says, are hard to talk about. Because there isn't just one kind of medicine that works. And that's really scary as a parent, right? You want a Band-Aid, you want antibiotics, you want something to be able to fix it. And, and, and you know, mental health is not that easy to prescribe for. So, unfortunately, people may end up avoiding that conversation. So we want to make sure that parents have the, have the tools. For anyone looking for something a little different, there will also be a gathering in Town Park hosted by Tell You Mind. Playland is, is definitely is a grassroots, community, peer-led mental health support group. Sarah Gluckstern is one of the founders of Tell You Mind, which started earlier this year. The aim, she says, is to create a community for people to join, to feel safe and less alone, and help them find additional resources if they need or want them. There's something very powerful when people who are going through any aspect of the mental health care spectrum, when we can all get together and just meet as humans and share struggles or share triumphs, share tools in our toolkit. I think there's a lot of power in that. There's no agenda. The gathering is mainly driven, Gluckstern says, by the needs of whoever shows up. It's really just supposed to be like a safe space for people to, to share whatever they want to share or or even just to be quiet and listen to other people just to, like, reorient everyone's thinking of that this is something you have to suffer through alone. Gluckstern hopes Tell You Mine can continue and grow in the coming months. This week's Tell You Mine gathering will take place this Thursday at 6 p.m. in Telluride Town Park. And the way to find us is we have a giant um, festival flag that's blue with a peace sign on it. The session on how to talk to children about suicide will also take place on Thursday at 6 p.m., in the Telluride Middle High School Library. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number is 1-800-273-8255. Services are available 24-7 in English and Spanish. Electric buses are an option for several routes run by the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation. Yeah, we've done lots of these evaluations of you know, smaller vehicle transition plans, and this is the best one we've seen. That's Joel Dunham, a lead engineering consultant for the Center for Transportation and the Environment, a nonprofit that supports clean energy transportation and worked with SMART on a study to assess the feasibility of moving to electric buses. Dunham briefed the SMART board on their findings last week. One of SMART's major advantages, he explains, is the downtime built into several route schedules. One benefit of the way SMART runs their buses is that there are these significant midday layover times uh, that can really make it a lot more feasible to do a lot more operations with a smaller battery. The team evaluated the feasibility based on what electric vehicle technology is available today and what to expect in the future, and the range of those vehicles based on local routes and conditions. With today's technology and that extra built-in charging time, the CTE team says the Rico, Norwood, Down Valley, and Montrose buses could go electric. The Lawson Hill and off-season routes, however, would not be feasible with today's technology. Lawson Hill could go electric with a larger 40-foot bus with technology that's a few years off, according to CTE's projections, but... We didn't recommend electrifying that one, 
because we didn't see a productive use of that vehicle in the off season and buying a 45 foot bus that you can only, or 40 foot bus that you can only run half the year is not something we wanted to just assume, but it's definitely worth consideration. Or if there can be another way to run that in the off season. For those routes that could go electric, Smart will also have to consider the price. According to CTE, converting those routes would cost the transit body about $4.4 million more over the lives of the vehicles than sticking with their current fossil fuel-type buses. But with potential grant funding from the federal infrastructure bill making its way through Congress, Dunham explains, the electric buses could actually save smart money over their lives about $3 million. The prospects of being able to fund, fund this with this dedicated source of funding uh, are, are really going to blow up <laughs> in the next five years or so. Still, electric buses aren't a sure thing for smart. Executive Director David Abril notes the CTE study was meant to focus on engineering feasibility and not other factors such as potential greenhouse gas reductions. We haven't even weighed that kind of thing into the conversation yet, so I feel like we probably ought to have a follow-up about those other benefits um, and how it balances with community values. A lot, April notes, will also hinge on whether SMART can secure grant funding for the electric bus transition. We're in a good spot, but um, it's not totally a slam dunk. And even if all the pieces fall into place, SMART board member Todd Brown underscores that based on the time it would take to transition infrastructure and equipment, electric buses likely won't hit San Miguel County roads for at least another two to three years. Mycophiles rejoice. The Telluride Mushroom Festival is back. After an isolating year like no other, the theme for 2021 is reconnecting. Over the five-day gathering, session topics will range from wild and cultivated culinary and medical mushrooms to the chemistry and clinical use of psychedelic mushrooms to ethnomycology, mycoremediation, and living sustainably with mushrooms, as well as lots of basics for beginners. The in-person festival is sold out, but for the second year, there will also be a virtual option that provides access to recorded and live-streamed talks, presentations, and special videos. And for anyone unable to dive into the festival sessions, the annual Mushroom Fest Parade will make its way down Telluride Main Street Saturday at 4 p.m., followed by dancing and drumming in Town Park until sunset. The Wilkinson Public Library will also offer free Mushroom Fest events open to the public throughout the weekend. The 41st Telluride Mushroom Festival takes place Wednesday, August 18th through Sunday, August 22nd. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency will host office hours next week to talk with members of the public about progress on the Telluride Valley Floor Boomerang Road Mine Tailings Removal Project and answer questions about work planned for the rest of the summer and fall. Representatives from the EPA, the Forest Service, and the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment will be present. So far, the work has focused on excavating mine tailings from the valley floor and relocating them to the Idorado Repository on the east end of Telluride. Office hours will take place Wednesday, August 25th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. and from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Wilkinson Public Library. The Bureau of Reclamation declared a first-ever water shortage for the lower Colorado River Basin earlier this week. It's the result of low water levels in Lake Mead, which supplies water to millions in the southwest. 
Escaping that shortage will rely partially on a turnaround of drought conditions. But climate change has made that harder to predict. Jennifer Pitt studies the river for the Audubon Society, a nonprofit environmental group. Water managers like to say, hope for the best, but make sure you're prepared for the worst. And we can't even tell you with certainty what the worst could be. Continued shortage conditions could mean more mandatory cutbacks in the Southwest. The first round of cuts will start in Arizona and Nevada this January. Governor Jared Polis says Colorado will be ready to roll out coronavirus vaccine booster shots to thousands of residents as soon as next month. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. People with weak immune systems are already getting third doses of Pfizer and Moderna. Polis says the state will be ready to act on the Biden administration's latest plan to start giving third doses to all adults eight months after their last shots. That means that healthcare workers and older Coloradans will be the very first eligible and the very first that we will be prepared to administer that to uh, September 20th. Uh, we'll provide more information in the coming weeks as we get closer to that rollout. Polis says the state has enough supply to offer boosters without interrupting efforts to get people their first shots. Meanwhile, more than 600 people are currently hospitalized with the virus in Colorado, the highest caseload since the spring. I'm Scott Franz in Denver. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low around 50. Thursday, expect partly sunny skies with a high near 60 and showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon with winds up to 25 miles per hour. Thursday night should be cloudy with a low in the mid-40s and a 60% chance of precipitation. Friday calls for partly sunny skies with a high in the mid-60s and a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms and wind gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Friday night should be mostly clear with a low in the mid-40s. This has been the news for Wednesday, August 18th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206.